Excited to be here. How many of you were here last week? I think all of us. Yeah, man. I, th- I, I think Shelly brought an amazing word. Um, and a, a part of, yeah, you can, you can cl- clap for Shelly. I, I think she's a testimony of the love and grace and mercy of God. And I'd like to encourage you, um, you all have a story to tell. You all have something that the Lord's doing in you, within you, and something that I think he wants to do through you. So do not, don't ever be afraid to share your story, to tell people the the grace of God that, that has been so evident in your lives. Don't ever be afraid or don't, love, don't ever let the enemy shut those things out because the first thing he'll do is, com- is try to convince you that your story doesn't have power. Can I tell you, if you have allowed Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've given him the reins of your whole life, do you know that your story has power? It's resurrection power. So I'd like to encourage you, don't ever let the enemy silence you. It's not the word, but I just wanted to say thank you. And I hope that Shelly's story continues to inspire us and inspire the people that will listen to the podcast. Do you, do you know that we have a podcast? Do you listen? Have you ever listened to the podcast? Don't say anything. But if you haven't, we have a podcast. Just look up the forum with a V and you could stay updated with everything that we have going on. You'll hear some announcements at the end, but Broomball. This is very important because I know last week we said Broomball was going to be pretty expensive. It's $5. And if the person that comes is a new guest, is a guest, they're in for free. So tell people, okay? Tell anybody you know, come. It's only 5 bucks. And we're going to have a good time. If you have never played Broomball, it's worth the experience. If you have, then you know how fun it is, right? That's a plug. Um, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. So t- today we're going to jump into part three of Skeletons in the Closet, our series that we've been talking about. Um, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think Shelly did a phenomenal job last week. Go ahead and listen to the podcast. If you didn't catch it, um, it'll be online. It should already be online by the time that this podcast is up. So you'll have all of that to scroll through. But Skeletons in the Closet. It's our third week. I just, I'm calling this sermon Skeletons in the Closet Part 3. That, did anybody ever watch the Halloween movies, the uh, Freddy, uh, Jason, Voorhees, all those? They all have parts. So this is Part 3 of Skeletons in the Closet. I think a very important part. Shelley touched on three different people in the Bible yesterday, or yesterday, last week. And I'd like to touch a little bit on them uh, just to kind of bring them full circle and see how we can dive deeper into this topic. But her life was a wreck. After five failed relationships, she stopped with the formalities. She came to the well when the sun blazed so, so that she could draw water alone and hide from the comments the whispers, and the condemning looks. He was a powerful man who abused his power. Do you know that he could, he could have said, bring me this, and they would have brought him that? He could have said, I need you to jump off of, off of that ledge, and they would have jumped. Do you know that there's, he could have said, I need you to go do this, whatever, it is. go to the ends of the world, and they would have done it. He was a powerful man. But he abused his power to sleep 
with another man's wife. Now to us, I think that you're like, oh gosh, that's just another episode on, on TMZ. But at this time, that was bad. Very bad. And it's still bad now, but I think our culture has kind of numbed us to that. And so to us, it's like, yeah, well, it's just another good Jersey Shore episode. But this man slept with another man's wife. But he got her pregnant. And out of fear of exposing the dirt, out of fear of exposing the wickedness, he tried to hide behind a cover that turned murderous. Do you guys remember that story? He had suff- she had suffered from bleeding for 12 years. And all that time, she was considered unclean, uncomfortable, and uncomforted. But one day she saw Jesus after having heard that he had healed others, and she had longed to be healed too. She had longed to receive his gracious touch. But how could she ask him in front of the whole crowd, the same crowd that did not comfort her, the same crowd that pushed her away, the same crowd that made fun of her? How could she confront and ask Jesus in public when she knew the world was going to turn on her? I wonder if any of us have ever felt like that. How could I confess my sin if as soon as I, as I raise my hand, someone's going to judge me about what I've just said? Where you say, you know what, I trust, I trust that Jesus can heal me if I confess, but if I raise my hand in a group and I tell people what's going on, they're going to look at me. Jesus heals me, but they're going to judge me. I wonder if anybody has ever felt like that. How could she ask him? So she did what I think any, any one of us would have done, and she, she looked for him in the darkness. She looked for him, tried to sneak around the crowd, and got on her knees and touched. She figured, if I can at least touch the fringe of his robe, then maybe he'll heal me. I'll just sneak up behind the crowd. I wonder if anyone has ever tried, you said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a victim of more judgment. I've lived with that my whole life, so I'll just sneak in get a little bit of Jesus, and then just leave. No one will ever see what's wrong. I wonder, if, I wonder if any of us can relate to the woman with the failed relationships, the failed marriages. I wonder if, if, any, was, if any of us can relate with the woman that has, or the man that has slept with another man's wife and killed him. I wonder if anyone, any one of us could relate to the woman that has felt judged all her life. And I don't expect you to raise your hand, but I think these stories are very close to our hearts because maybe we relate to one or all of them. These are three biblical portraits of people who tried to hide. And I think there's one common denominator with all three of them. Can anybody guess what that is? I'll tell you, shame. All three of them had one common denominator, and they were ashamed. Ashamed of their sin, ashamed of their situation, ashamed of their decisions, and they were over it. They were just full of shame. So these three biblical portraits show us that three people were ashamed. But what I love is that these three people did not just experience shame, but they also experienced the grace and the redemption 
the redempting God of love. Are you with me? They all, the minute that they, that, that they surrendered their thoughts and their actions and what came before, they received the redempting love of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about what gives shame power. Are you with me? What gives shame power? I think there's and to do that, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, because if we're going to talk about shame, I think if we're going to talk about anything, we should talk about where the root is. Do we have any gardeners here? I know. So I have a plant in my, in my office now, and um, so I'm learning a, a thing or two about a thing or two and trying to, trying to figure out how to take care of a plant. A plant is a hard thing to take care of. Anybody with me? Apparently, you have to give it water every once in a while. Apparently, it can't just be stashed in an office. You need to give it some sunlight. Apparently, I'm learning all these things, right? But So we have to go to the root. If you want to kill weeds, you got to go to the root. And so if we want to start killing this shame that's over our lives, we need to go to the root. We need to go to where it started. And shame started all the way back in Genesis, the book of Genesis from the creation. And I love this. Genesis chapter 2, that's not what's going to be up there, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I will not talk to that, but they felt no shame. So from the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them and they were naked and they felt, and they were proud. They were unashamed. And I heard a a preacher say this once. He, He said, People don't just, uh, the authors of the Bible didn't just write things in to write things in, right? They didn't just, oh, that that sounds like a cool concept. I'm going to put it in. No, no, no. They wrote that in because there was something important about that. As a matter of fact, here's a little theological lesson. The first five books of the Bible, for the most part, theologians will argue that they were written by Moses, the majority of it, okay? So Moses, as you can tell, was not with Adam and Eve, unless you want to argue with me on that one, but you'll always lose. Moses was not in the garden with Adam and Eve. He wasn't. Moses had only heard about the creation account from people and generations and generations, right? He had only heard of it from people. So when Moses sat down at the end of his life to write the creation account, he was thinking, what would be most important for people that come after me to remember about the creation account. And if you remember in the past, I've taught you that this this culture in the Old Testament was an honor and shame culture. Do you remember that? So honor, it was like a game. If you did the right thing, you received honor. If you did the wrong thing, you gave up your honor and you took up shame. You could be shamed if you disowned your parents, if you left home, if you, whatever, if you, and there were so many rules, you could be ashamed by your parents. And so you can imagine in an honor-shame culture that Moses sat down and he was thinking, hmm, I think I should talk about what's most important in our culture right now and make sure that they know that even though today you feel shame at the, at the beginning, God's intention for you and for everyone around you was to walk with no shame. Okay, yes, I'm going to write that. So Moses wrote that. And that tells you and me that shame is not something that, we, that is natural to us. It's not something that we were created to carry and, and to walk with. It's not something that we were intended to be shameful. 
because that's not how crea- God created us. And, but then we see in ch- chapter 3, the fall. It's crazy how everything changes in, in, in one verse. Verse, 23, or verse 25 of chapter 2, we were naked and unashamed. And then we get to chapter 3, and all of a sudden, things start to change. And I won't read all of that, but Adam, or God tells Adam and Eve, he says, you can do whatever you want. You got a job to do. Hashtag, go listen to the singleness sermon if you want to hear a little more about the jobs that you got to do. But you got a job to do. God told Adam and Eve, go do it. But there's one thing that you cannot do. You have, you can do whatever you want, but one thing you can't do, and it's eat of this tree. And the serpent comes, and we're skipping all of that, but the serpent is wild and is able to talk to, to the woman and convince the woman. So she takes the fruit. She takes it to Adam. Adam takes it, and we pick up the story, and that'll be up on the, on the screens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. After, after they had t- taken everything, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. That must have been a scary sound. In the cool of the day, and they hid, if you're taking notes, underline, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? That's my God voice. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? I'd like to pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that that we would be challenged, transformed, and that we would never be the same. Amen. Shame has plagued us since Adam and Eve bit into the fruit. And as we just read, they realized that they were naked. Their first instinct was to hide from each other and to hide from God. No wonder. They now stood guilty before God and were vulnerable to each other. They were vulnerable to the enemy. Suddenly, after one decision, suddenly they were sinful. They were weak. They were damaged people living in a dangerous world. And they found themselves exposed. Exposed to sinful judgment, rejection, and the wide open accusations of the evil one. They were exposed. You know what I realized when I asked myself, why is it that Adam and Eve reacted in this place? Why, did they, why was their first reaction to go and hide? But it's because of shame. Shame will cause you to hide. I realized, and I asked myself this question, how do humans respond to shame? How do we respond to shame? Here's your answer. We hide. How does God respond to shame? Here's your answer. He covers. I think the key to breaking the power of shame over our lives is that we would stop hiding 
and that we would start letting God cover. The truth is this, is that God cannot cover what you refuse to reveal. God cannot cover what you are hiding. Now, part something that goes tagged onto shame also is a little bit of anxiety. It's like sprinkled into that. Does anybody know what, what I'm saying? When you feel ashamed, you also feel anxiety. You feel anxious. But I've been learning the, the, this last season of my life that anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not an identity. Anxiety and shame are not who you are. But they, are, they should be indicators of where you should run to. Because the minute that Adam and Eve felt shame, the minute that they recognized their mistakes, instead of waiting for God and saying, hey, God, I, I, I got to tell you something. It's, it's pretty important. I don't know if you're going to hate me after this, but I disobeyed. I deliberately disobeyed your command. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that you're saying, oh, my gosh, I, I've been walking around like that. All my life. I think we're hiding in the wrong places. Like the woman at the well, like King David, like the bleeding woman, our shame frequently encourages us to hide in the wrong places. We hide in our homes, we hide away from our homes because our homes are crazy. We hide in our rooms, we hide in our offices, we hide in our homework, we hide in, in work that we have to do at home, we hide in the garage, we hide under the hood of our car, we hide behind computers. Come on, does anybody relate with me? We hide behind computers, we, we, we hide behind phones and magazines. If anybody still reads a magazine, we hide behind Netflix, YouTube. We hide behind earphones, ESPN. We hide behind the fashion facades, education facades, career facades. I mean, come on. We, could, we hide behind anything that's not God because we're afraid that God will judge us when all these other things are only entertaining us. They're disguising the pain. They're, they're, they're a temporary fix when God wants to bring Eternal salvation. When God wants to bring an eternal place of rest for you. I, I wonder if you relate with any of that. We hide in busyness, not business. We hide in busyness. Or if I could do more, I could get my mind off of things. I'm just as guilty of this one as maybe one or all of you. We hide in busyness, we hide in procrastination, or maybe we hide in outright lies. We lie to people or we manipulate conversations because we know that if the truth were to come out, no one would love me. I'd lose all my friends. But can I tell you, when you begin to expose the power of shame begins to diminish when you begin to expose the power of grace covers a multitude of sins. When you begin to let the Lord take the things that you've been hiding, he begins to cover. And we'll talk a little more about that, but 
We hide behind humor. We hide behind timidity. Here's one that was hard for me to, to understand, but we hide in our extroversion, in our introversion, because our extroversion will cause us to be around people and not, begin, and not process things. Our introversion will cause us to pull away from people and not process things. You see, I believe that, we, that all of us have our own noontime well visits. We all have our own sin cover-ups. We all are longing for an anonymous visit with the Lord. Now, one of the things that I've been learning, and this is a stronger topic, but the thing that will keep your shame close to you is another big word called pride. Because pride will say, I don't need any help, I'm good. And it'll keep shame close to you. And the only time that you will feel the effects of shame over your life is when you are confronted by the memories of your failures. David, I think, is a great example of this because he hid his, he hid his lies until... God sent a prophet that confronted his past. And when he confronted his past, guess what the first thing was that came up to David? Shame. Almost like saying, hello, I've been here this whole time. <laughs> Joke's on you, David. It's been here the whole time. But God will never, ever bring things to the light to bring pain to you. He will expose things because he wants to cover it. I have a psalm that I want you to, to read. It'll be a psalm 91. And I, I think this illustrates exactly what I'm trying to tell you. It's whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I think we hear that a lot, but if you keep reading, you'd find that there's more to this truth than, than we give the psalm a chance. And then it says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Awesome. Verse 3, Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 4, and if you're taking notes, please highlight under this. He will cover. Can you say that with me? He will cover you with his feathers. Notice that it doesn't say that he will eh, pretend like nothing happened. Uh-uh. It doesn't say that he'll just, ah, it's okay. No, no, no. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He will cover. But th this is one of those if-then statements, okay? He will cover you, but only if you dwell in his presence. If you dwell in the shelter, then you will find he is covering you. But when we hide, we're no longer dwelling under the wings, under the sh shelter of the Most High. When we hide from God and when we hide from people, we are no longer dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. So He cannot cover what we've been so 
unwilling to bring to the light. So what the psalmist is saying is, dude, I, I need you to know this, that if only you would let the Lord take the truth of what's been holding you back, he would cover it. Because God wants to cover your shame. I love that in the New Testament, Jesus painted a completely different picture. And we're coming to an end here, so worship team, you can come up. But uh, when we got to the end of the New Testament, the end of Jesus' life and story on earth as a human we got a new image of what it meant to be covered, okay? And I'll leave you with this. In hopes that as you respond that you would stop hiding. This isn't a hide-and-seek game. This is a let God cover my life and my sin. So the image that we get in the New Testament is that God sends his son, Jesus. You with me? He is not hiding him. He sends his son who was to pay the ultimate price because in the Old Testament, the price would be paid, but it was for a year. The bloodshed of the price that was paid would only cover a sin, your sins for a year. But God, because he loves us so much and he has a plan in all of this, he said, hold up, I'm going to send my son Jesus that will, here's a big word, atone for your sins. In other words, he will pay the price for your sins. So he covers your guilt. There's no more guilt in the equation because Jesus' bloodshed covers it all. His blood covers a multitude of sins. Then comes the hard part. Because we've already been redeemed. We've already been healed. We've already been forgiven. And then the enemy comes and he says, hold up, but you still got a little thing called shame. You're still exposed. Sure, God loves you, but you're still exposed. God loves you, but... And the enemy starts to speak those lies to you and to me. The enemy says, sure, you, it might seem like God's forgiven you and, you're no, and now you're guilt-free, but you still have your past that's holding on to you so well. You still have the past decisions that are gripping you. And do you know what at that point what shame does? It disables you. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you just cannot move because you feel so anxious, you feel so shameful, you feel so afraid? Have you ever woken up and you cannot move, you feel paralyzed? Well, that's not your identity. And that's not who you are. That's not who God created you to be. I have one more scripture. I'd like for you to stand up. And this last scripture comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Because here's what blows my mind. Is that verses later, God could have said, hey, here are the consequences and I need you to just get out because I can't live with you anymore. 
God could have just turned his back on his people. He could have. But his response in one verse tells us the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He clothed them. Can you see that picture? Can you see that image? Here's a man and his wife who felt ashamed and they tried to hide their imperfections. They tried to hide their sin. They tried to hide their shame. And when they're talking to God, they must have, they had to have gotten to a place where they dropped their facade, where they dropped their guard. They stopped hiding so that God could clothe them. Because he couldn't clothe them when they were still hiding. They had to come out of the dark. Can I tell you, God's response to our shame and our anxiety is that he wants to clothe us wants to give us his love. He wants to give you, extend his grace and his mercy and the things that once tied you down, the skeletons in the closet that are there in the form of shame are no longer there because he covers. The Bible says that his love covers a multitude of sins. I wonder how many of us are hiding. I wonder how many of us are running. So with every eye closed, I'd like to pray for you. We're going to respond with this song. But I want us to pray this. God, to all the things that are dead inside of me, I surrender unto you. God, all the things that I've been hiding, I surrender unto you. There is resurrecting power in your blood, Jesus. So I pray, God, that your blood covers over all of our shame. I pray that we would come out from hiding. I pray that we would stop wearing masks and that we would begin the process towards healing. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you are for us today. God, I pray that you would go beyond the surface level issues, but there are things in our hearts that you need to work on. So we surrender all those things. And we say we don't want to hide any longer. 